Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Um, But I have a question for you. It's a little bit, it requires a little bit of confession on your part. Uh, By raise of hands, who here knows what FOMO is? Okay, okay. For those of you that raised your hands, how many of you suffer with FOMO? <laughs> Thanks, Mariel. Um, for those of you who don't know what FOMO means, it sounds it's weird. It's a weird word, right? It's actually an acronym, and it stands for fear of missing out. Um, its literal definition is anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be currently happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. Um, I can't make this stuff up, you guys. Like, this is real. This is, you can Google this stuff and find tons of research done on it. Um, but now that you know what FOMO means, how many of you suffer with FOMO, a fear of missing out? I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Um, so I did a little research, and this, this social phenomenon known as FOMO has existed, I mean, probably forever, but technically since about 2000, and then it became this named reality around 2004, And it's primarily the result of this digital age that we're in, right? In which we are constantly seeing on our phones, I brought my smartphone up here, um, seeing other people's posts and seeing what other people are doing, which in turn affects our own desire to be a part of something, to to be doing something better than what we're currently doing. Um, We don't want to miss out, right? We have this need to be a part of something, to... We're not satisfied with what we're doing because we know that something is, the grass is greener on the other side, something is going on that's better than what I'm doing. Well, I remember one instance that I realized that I too suffer with FOMO at times. I've always loved adventure, anything that includes an adrenaline rush, roller coasters, things like that, I love it, live for that. And I've had this deep desire to go skydiving for so many years. I want to go skydiving. I know some of you think that's wild, but I want to do it. Um, Well, my sisters and I had this opportunity. One of her friends lives in San Diego, and she invited us to come and go skydiving. You can see the beach in San Diego, go skydiving, and it was going to be awesome. But they scheduled it for the week that I had finals in my grad program. And so I couldn't miss that. I couldn't leave school. I couldn't go skydiving. Um, and, and so the whole time I was experiencing this extreme FOMO because they were posting pictures and like telling me how excited they were. And I was stuck here taking tests and writing papers and doing so much reading. I just wanted to be there skydiving. I still haven't gone skydiving, so it'll happen. It'll happen one of these days. But we've all been there, right? Nobody likes to be left out. Nobody likes to miss out on fun things. Well, in today's lectionary text, uh, we see one of the disciples missing out on something huge. But we also see a huge and compassionate response from the risen Jesus. 
See, last Sunday was Easter, right? The day we celebrated Jesus' defeat of death once and for all, and also the initiation of a new creation. So pop quiz, I don't think Trent said this earlier, but Easter isn't just one day, but it's a whole season, right? We get to celebrate for an extended period of time. Who here wants to take a guess at how many days are in the season of Easter? Debbie and Trent, you can't answer this one. <laughs> Any guesses out there? Mary Ellen? Close. 50. 50, yeah, good job. Uh, bonus question, what do we celebrate at the end of the season of Easter? Pentecost, good job. Y'all are awesome. I don't even need to preach. I'll just go home. <laughs> all in all, we just must remember that Easter isn't just a day, but a season. We're still in this extended moment, this period of celebration of the joyous reality that he is risen. He is risen the celebration isn't over yet, folks. The tomb is empty and Jesus lives. But that first Easter, it wasn't necessarily one of celebration, at least not at first. See, our lectionary takes us to the Gospel of John today, and I love John's Gospel because there are several unique things about it. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of all have similarities, but John kind of, he goes through the weeds a little bit, and he's a little philosophical, and he's a little bit different. Um, but we get to go to John's Gospel today and see what he says about Jesus' appearance to the disciples Right before today's passage, though, and we talked about this last week, we didn't preach from, Trent didn't preach from John's gospel, but we saw what happened before this, that, that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. Um, and she brought news of the empty tomb to the disciples. And so we pick up there in John chapter 20, with, starting with verse 19. Um, out of reverence for God's word, as you are able and willing, would you stand on your feet or in your hearts today for the reading? It's John chapter 20 starting with verse 19 and going through verse 31. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told them, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks, in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side? I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. Again, he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of God given to us 
the people of God. We have a lot of ground to cover in this passage. Um, first, we have the disciples who are afraid. Who can blame them, right? Then we've got Thomas, poor guy, missed out on what could have been the most spectacular moment of his life. And lastly, we've got this gift of the Holy Spirit given by Jesus, which is actually unique to John's gospel. Like I said, John kind of includes a couple different things. Um, and that's only three of the issues at hand here. But as you all know, every good sermon only has three points. <laughs> any less, and I didn't study enough anymore, and I'm just showing off. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to have some fun. First, we need to figure out why in the world the disciples are hiding. Shouldn't they be continuing the work that Jesus started? Shouldn't they be out and about telling people what Jesus did to save them? I mean, we know why they're hiding, right? They were afraid of what was on the outside. They were afraid that the people who killed Jesus would come and kill them too. They were in survival mode. And not just that, but they were grieving. Most likely they were in shock, traumatized by what they've experienced and witnessed for the last three days. But we know what happened just before this passage, right? I said it earlier. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and what did she find? The tomb was empty. Even Peter and the beloved disciple saw the empty tomb, but they were fearful instead of joyous because verse 9 tells us they didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Their friend and their teacher and their mentor has just been killed. And to their knowledge, his body was stolen. They've got every right to be afraid. They've got every right to grieve and to mourn and to hurt. They were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Even after Mary Magdalene shared with them that she had seen the Lord, they were afraid. But what happens next? I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to give you a little cliffhanger. You know what happens next. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel major FOMO on behalf of Thomas in this passage, this fear of missing out, right? Now, fear of missing out wasn't deemed an actual issue until recently, but I imagine if it existed as such when this event took place, Thomas would suffer with FOMO for the rest of his life. Like, I can just imagine it. Peter with his smartphone, if this happened today, right? Taking a selfie with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is here. <laughs> Hashtag Jesus is alive. Hashtag Thomas is missing out. <laughs> and Thomas just, wherever he is, looking at this post from Peter and is like weeping because he's missed out on this opportunity. You see, this text we've read is the main reason that Thomas was dubbed forever with the famous moniker, we all know it, Doubting Thomas. And for the longest time, I hopped on that train and believed that Thomas was ultimately the doubting disciple. But the more I read and the more I study about Thomas, the more I read this week and, and studied about him, the more I thought to myself, I am Thomas in this story. And not because he was doubtful that Jesus was alive, but because he desired for the very presence of Jesus, of whom he'd been a loyal follower for several years. Have you been there? Simply wanting 
Jesus to show up, to have a little more than just the words of others, what others have told you. You see, if I had the power to change everyone's mind about Thomas, I would change his title from Doubting Thomas to Thomas the Skeptic. I think he was just a little bit skeptical. Something I read this week, it mentioned that Thomas is the incredulous non-believer who hides inside every believing Christian, the questioner in us that resists easy answers to hard questions of faith, who always wants a little more proof. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Now, maybe I shouldn't confess this from the pulpit, but if I were in Thomas's shoes, or sandals, I wouldn't have, I mean, I would have done the very same thing. I would have demanded that the living Christ appear, not necessarily because I didn't believe he was alive from the dead, that he had defeated death, but because I'm not sure I would have fully believed the words of the other disciples, because we all know they were questionable at times. And you see, Thomas was simply asking for what the other disciples had already received, which was seeing Jesus in the flesh. It wasn't fair that we called him Doubting Thomas because the other disciples got to see Jesus. Why shouldn't Thomas? Seeing Jesus in the flesh, the word of God that John introduces in John chapter 1. So whether or not Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive or was simply skeptical of the testimony of the other disciples, which technically shouldn't be our focus in this passage, what happens next is of vital importance. More on that in a moment. Another cliffhanger. So you might be wondering when, if ever, is Pastor Val going to talk about Jesus? Like She's talking a whole lot about the disciples, but we come to church to hear about Jesus, right? Where in the world is Jesus in this sermon? And that, that's why we come to church after all. Here's the answer. Jesus is wherever he's needed. In this passage... Jesus shows up wherever he is needed. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is always present to us, right? We believe God is omnipresent, that he is present to all, in all, all the time. But let's put it into perspective. Where were the disciples in this passage? They were behind locked doors, right? Both times Jesus shows up, the disciples are behind closed, locked doors. As if Jesus showing up the first time wasn't proof enough that he was alive. And where's Thomas? He wasn't there the first time. We don't know what he was doing. So the second appearance for the disciples happens specifically for Thomas, the one who desired and requested the presence of the living Christ. There are so many implications here in this passage, but only one that I think I need to say today, and the one that I needed to hear this week as I was preparing. Jesus meets us, at our deepest points of need. This is getting good, so if you're not taking notes, start now. In the disciples' fear, Jesus meets them. Nothing can keep Jesus from entering in, not even deadbolts or chains. In Thomas's skepticism, Jesus meets him. Nothing can stop Jesus from showing up, not even the hardest heart. See, this would have been an easy and obvious opportunity for Jesus to lecture Thomas for his unwillingness to believe, but that's not what happens, right? Jesus doesn't shame him, but welcomes his pain and reassures him of his presence. 
Likewise, in your fear, in your grief, in your sorrow, pain, stubbornness, inaction, doubt, Jesus meets you. Nothing can keep Jesus from meeting you. Now or ever. And Jesus doesn't just meet the disciples with his presence, but he utters this blessing of peace. Peace be with you, he says. And he gifted them with the peace that he promised them just days before. Chapter 14 in John, starting in verse 27, says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I give to you not as the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. You have heard me tell you, I'm going away and returning to you. Clearly, the disciples are bad at following Jesus' instructions because they were afraid and very troubled. But what this tells me is that Jesus keeps his promises. Jesus shows up and meets them. He enters in time and time again, like he did for those disciples, despite our fear, despite our grief, despite our doubt, whatever it is, to renew us with his peace and remind us of the reality of the resurrection, a true gift of grace. And not only that, but did you notice that Jesus wasn't physically present when Thomas was being skeptical, right? Jesus wasn't there when when the disciples were telling Thomas that they had seen him. And yet he showed up and knew exactly what Thomas needed. He said, put your hands in my hands. Put your finger in my side. What that should tell us, at least what it tells me, is that our deepest needs, our prayers, those are heard and met with the presence of Jesus. So why did the disciples keep locking the doors? Or perhaps a more appropriate question today is why do we keep locking the doors? One writer, Cameron Murkison, he wrote that a chronic temptation for Christians is to stay behind closed doors, end quote. We're tempted at times, I think, to stay safely tucked away and to keep the doors locked, to keep the message of the resurrection to ourselves out of fear for what the world might think or do to us. He continues, however, It's a door that does not keep the risen Jesus out. (laughs) See, we can hide all we want, but Jesus is still going to do what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to do what Jesus does, and that is show up. And this brings us to the third and final point. Remember, only three points, the promise. But Jesus speaks, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. I think this may be the single most important part of our passage today. We often get hung up on what the disciples are experiencing, right? On Thomas missing out. But I think this might be the single most important piece because it involves not just those first disciples that Jesus was speaking with, but every person who claims to follow Christ today, including this little church in Mountain Home, Idaho. We can't stay behind closed, locked doors because Christ has sent those first disciples and is still sending us. 
In fact, the, the Greek verb, here's my inner nerd coming out, the Greek verb used here for sending is the same word, or sorry, it's, it, this word sending in, it, in, implies a continual action, if that makes sense. So like, meaning this commission for the disciples is also for us. It never ends. So this commission wasn't just for Peter and the gang, but just for you and for me, for every disciple of Jesus. This peace that, that Jesus offers pushes us out from behind these locked doors into a world that is so desperately in need of Jesus' presence. And the best part is, Jesus didn't just say, like, go ahead now, you got this. But he empowered them with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He literally breathed on them the Spirit's presence, meaning they wouldn't be left on their own, but would have advocacy in the Spirit to help guide them and strengthen, strengthen them on their journey. And this name, the same spirit, is the same spirit that lives in us today, empowering us to live into the mission that Christ started. It's the same mission that God sent Jesus to on earth. We have that same mission, the mission to create a new world, a new creation. You see, the breath that Jesus breathed on those disciples that day is the very same breath that God breathed into the nostrils of humanity back in Genesis 2. It's literally the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, breath. It's the same word. My nerdy Wesleyan commentary reads that as the Father once brought humanity to life, now Christ brought his church to life. Christ has brought his church to life. Do you feel it? Do you feel that Christ breathed life in this place? Church, Christ has breathed his spirit on us, filling us with the strength and courage and love we need to fulfill this mission. And that mission involves the forgiveness of sins. That's what he says in this passage. That is why Jesus died on the cross after all, isn't it? One of my favorite books, um, it's written by N.T. Wright. It's called The Day the Revolution Began. It's all about Christ's death and resurrection, um, what it means, why he did it, what it means for Christ followers today. It, it helps us reimagine the scandal of the cross. So I want to read you an excerpt. It's a little bit long, um, but it kind of tied it all together for me. This is what he writes. After the foot washing and after Judas has gone out into the dark, Jesus tells the disciples with a sense of excitement that God is going to be glorified at last and that they must love one another as he has loved them. Glory and love, two great themes in the Gospel of John. How is God glorified? Through the work of his son, the true divine image and the genuinely human one. The word had become flesh. In our midst, he appeared like God's new dwelling place, God's true tabernacle and we gazed upon his glory. That is what John told us at the start of his gospel. This, John is saying, is what it looks like when the glorious divine presence returns to Jerusalem at last, when the watchmen shout with joy because God is becoming king. This is what it looks like when Babylon is overthrown, when Pharaoh's hosts are defeated and the slaves are set free. This is what it looks like when the servant is exalted and lifted up 
high so that kings will shut their mouths because of him. This is what it looks like when the scriptures are fulfilled. And this is why when John tells the story of the new Eden, the new creation, the day of resurrection, there's no serpent to be seen. Mary is weeping, but Jesus tells her to dry her tears. The disciples are scared, but Jesus comes through those locked doors and tells them not to be afraid. Thomas doubts and questions, and Jesus answers him and accepts his newfound faith and worship. And this is the best part. New creation can happen because the power of Satan, of Babylon, of Pharaoh has been broken. That's how the story works. That is what is different by 6 o'clock on the evening of Good Friday, though Jesus' followers don't realize it until the third day, which is the first day of the new week, the start of the new world. End quote. So whether you are out proclaiming the good news of Christ's resurrection, or perhaps you are hiding behind locked doors, or whatever, for whatever reason, whatever is going on, Jesus will meet you there. Because Jesus needs you to participate in this revolution, and that is the coming of the new creation. Now that isn't necessarily an invitation to stay behind those locked doors, because we must lean into the spirit that Christ breathes on us, a spirit of peace, allowing it to push us beyond these walls into the mission that was Christ's here on earth, to seek and save the lost, to forgive and to love one another. And a good place to start is here in this place. Where does forgiveness need to happen here? Because sorry to break it to you, but if things aren't right between our brothers and sisters, we can't even begin to make them right in the world. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us. And have a great week.